Hello world, thanks for tuning in to Things You Should Care About, a brand new pop culture focused podcast where your host, myself, Tyler Haas, will take you on a journey into the past to take a look at something you should care about. It's a podcast, let me show you something cool about a movie or a song or something. Hello, my fellow pop culture connoisseurs. It is I, your host, Tyler Haas. And today, I'm going to be diving deep into the web of Hollywood magic that gave us the first great Marvel movie, Sam Raimi's 2002 classic, Spider-Man. Over 15 years old now, this movie was the catalyst for the rise of superhero movies in Hollywood over the past couple decades. While it did come out after Bryan Singer's take on X-Men in 2000, I think this movie created the formula that Marvel movies have used in a lot of their standalone superfilms. So refill your web shooters and get your cameras ready, because we're going to talk about Spider-Man was directed by a cult movie icon, Sam Raimi, and starred Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker, Kristen Dunst as Mary Jane Watson, Willem Dafoe as the villain, the Green Goblin, and James Franco as his son, Harry Osborn. It also features a fantastic score by Danny Elfman. And, as I am sure you are aware, Spider-Man is a character created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko as a Marvel Comics superhero. So you've probably heard of him. So the story about how this movie came to be is a long one, so I'll try to give you a brief summary. Plans for a Spider-Man movie go all the way back to the 1980s. The original treatment was actually created by James Cameron of Terminator, Titanic, and Avatar fame. This version of the movie is a lot more raunchy, featuring a lot more explicit language, and featured a sex scene between Peter Parker and Mary Jane on the Brooklyn Bridge. The main antagonists were going to be uh, reinterpretations of classic Spider-Man villains, Electro and Sandman. But, due to a lot of different lawsuits and crazy complicated legal contracts and battles between Columbia Pictures, Marvel themselves, MGM, 21st Century Fox, and Carl Loco Pictures, that movie fell through, and at the end, Columbia Pictures, the studio with the tall lady holding the torch, a subsidiary of Sony Pictures, ended up with the rights to Spider-Man. Production for the movie began in 1999, with Sony initially deciding to base the script off Cameron's 40-page narrative treatment. This ended up changing, with them deciding on a different director and deciding to go with Spider-Man's most infamous villain, the Green Goblin. Multiple directors were on the table to direct, all of the major heavyweights at the time. There was Chris Columbus of uh, Home Alone 1 and 2 fame, M. Night Shyamalan, who at the time was being called the next Spielberg because of his massive success with The Sixth Sense. There was also Ang Lee, who would go on to do the Incredible Hulk movie instead a couple years later. David Fincher of Fight Club fame was chosen, but didn't want to do an origin story. He wanted to adapt the Night at Gwen Stacy Died storyline, one of the storylines from the 70s. Instead, the film was given to a really unorthodox pick, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi was known for his cult classic Evil Dead franchise, which were over-the-top cheesy horror films, which are pretty far away from a big-budget superhero movie. The studio heads were impressed by his passion for the project, however. 
Raimi was a huge fan of the old Spider-Man comics and had very strong opinions of how the film should be. This passion is what sold over the producers and the comic book nerd was given his day. I feel like this passion is really evident when you watch the film. Not the hate on the other directors on this list, because they're all great, but I feel like all of them would put some kind of twist on the story. David Fincher would have made a much darker movie, while Chris Columbus would have done something a lot more family-friendly, and who knows what kind of twist shenanigans Shyamalan would have cooked up. But Raimi's version of the film really creates an honest look at the character. But we'll talk more on that later. So with the cast and crew set, the film was underway. While the movie takes place in New York, almost all the filming took place in LA. A couple sound stages were used out there as well, specifically one for the complicated Times Square sequence where Spider-Man first meets Green Goblin, where a three-story tall balcony set had to be built. One of the most controversial design elements of the movie is the Green Goblin costume. Originally, an animatronic mask was created to fit Defoe, with fake skin that much closer resembled the Goblin in the comics. Instead, they ended up going with the almost Power Rangers-like armor suit. While I personally don't mind the costume, I can see why some people don't like it. It is pretty cheesy. And it's not really expressive, because it's just a static face the whole time. They do show his eyes a couple times when they like zoom in past it, but you normally can't, so it's like kind of a weird decision. Um, I do like it a lot more than the weird green face paint we got in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Ugh, that movie is so bad. Anyway... A major real-world event that affected the making of the film was the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center. The teaser trailer for the movie featured a spiderweb between the Twin Towers, and the poster featured the Twin Towers being reflected in Spider-Man's eyes. These ads ended up being pulled, and the World Trade Center had to be digitally edited out of all the movie. After the long production cycle and all the hiccups, Spider-Man finally premiered in the Philippines on April 30th, 2002, and had its wide U.S. release on May 3rd. It was a huge financial success. It was the first film to make $100 million in its first weekend, which is almost as much as X-Men made in its entire run. It ended up making $800 million worldwide at the end of its run, which at the time was the seventh highest grossing movie of all time. For a superhero movie, this was unheard of at the time. Before that, superhero movies were considered passion projects or cheap money grabs. Spider-Man brought the blockbuster back into the 21st century, a trend of increased ticket sales and profits that hasn't let up since, with sales rivaling the grandfathers of blockbusting, Jaws and Star Wars. Critically, the movie did fairly well, with critics praising the music, action sequences, and acting from the two leads, Tobey Maguire and Willem Dafoe. So I told you guys about the what about Spider-Man, now I'm going to talk to you about the why. Why do I think this movie is successful? I'm not saying this movie is like the Citizen Kane of superhero movies or anything. That honor would probably go to the Dark Knight. But I do think Raimi and crew made the quintessential superhero origin story. They created not only a well-made, fun action movie, but they also gave Peter Parker heart and soul. A really believable character. This is thanks a lot in part with Tobey Maguire's performance. This version of Peter Parker, while a bit different from the original Amazing Spider-Man comic, I still think is a good interpretation. 
He is much more nerdy and quiet, and has a much softer delivery. If you compare it to Andrew Garfield or Tom Holland's most recent version of the character, Maguire's Peter Parker is a lot less confident. But I like this change, because this makes the change to Spider-Man a lot more drastic. Peter Parker actually has to change himself when he puts on the suit. He can't be the nerdy, passive kid when he jumps in a burning building to save a child. Maguire's passive-natured Parker really contrasts with the hero he eventually turns into. Another change that I thought was good was the switch to organic web shooters. Now, I'm probably going to get a whole lot of hate for it, but I think it was a good idea for the movie. One, it is not very realistic that he'd be able to afford the ability to create a synthetic spider webbing or elaborate web shooters in his bedroom. In comics, sure, those are always ridiculous. But this movie is much more grounded in reality than a comic book, so I prefer the realism. The only thing that changing from man-made to organic story-wise is that they lose the ability to use the old oh no, my web shooter's malfunctioning or I'm almost out of webbing plot device, which is just kind of boring writing, so I don't really miss it. The other standout performance in the film, probably even more so than Parker, is Willem Dafoe's performance as Norman Osborn. He's a fantastic actor, and his scenes in front of the mirror where he switches between Norman and the Goblin are very chilling. He creates a haunting villain with good motivations that make you sympathize with Norman, and that's much better than most of the Marvel villains nowadays, which are always just a generic baddie that wants to destroy everything for some reason. The Green Goblin's motives are a lot smaller and more personal. He just wants to kill Spider-Man. This personal hatred leads to a great scene where Peter, Harry, Aunt May, and Norman are all at Harry and Peter's place for Thanksgiving. The Green Goblin and Spider-Man had just fought in a burning building, and they were both running late for dinner. Eventually in the scene, Norman hears blood drop on the floor from Peter's wound from the previous battle. This leads to him finding out Spider-Man's true identity, all while the other dinner party guests are unaware. This dramatic irony causes great tension in the scene. Another cool little detail is that Peter and Norman are wearing each other's respective colors, with Osborne wearing a blue shirt with a red tie, and Peter wearing a green shirt with a purple tie. Kristen Dunst is also great as Mary Jane. While Mary Jane is still basically a pretty love interest and a damsel in his dress, Dunst is still lovely in the role, being super sweet and having great depth in the scene where she's talking about her abusive father. And how can I forget the classic scene where she kisses upside-down Spider-Man in the rain? Ugh, that scene is just classic Hollywood filmmaking, you know? It kind of has that old 1920s-like cheesy love scene vibe, you know? Like something out of the old film, it happened one night. We can't talk about amazing performances without touching on J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, the editor-in-chief of the Daily Bugle. He's so goddamn perfect for that role that the three Spider-Man movies after the Raimi trilogy haven't even attempted to bring him back. Simmons just is J. Jonah Jameson. Jeez, what is it with Stanley and alliteration and character names? You know, we got Peter Parker, J. Jonah Jameson, Otto Octavius, Bruce Banner, Reed Richards, Stephen Strange, Susan Storm... The last two characters I want to touch on are two cameos, and they are even in the same scene. First is Macho Man Randy Savage, who perfectly plays the wrestler Peter Parker has a cage match with, Bonesaw McGraw. Classic scene. The other is longtime Raimi collaborator Bruce Campbell. Campbell starred in all three of Raimi's Evil Dead movies as Ash Williams, the bloodstained, one-liner, spitting, zombie-killing extraordinaire. Campbell plays the announcer of the wrestling match and has small roles in the other two films of the trilogy as well. He is also the narrator of the video game adaptations of the movies. And of course, since this is a Marvel movie, there is a Stan Lee cameo as well. The score for this movie is also fantastic. 
Danny Elfman of Tim Burton movie fame succeeded in creating a theme that is just as epic and heroic as John Williams' superhero theme. The CGI of the movie holds up well even 16 years later. Most of the shots of Spider-Man look great, even if they are almost entirely CGI. So that about covers it. Spider-Man is not a perfect film. It has cheesy dialogue, some hokey acting parts, and some moments of CGI that aren't perfect. Notably the scene of Mary J hugging a very static Spider-Man mannequin. But aren't all superhero comics cheesy? With this film, Sam Raimi was able to bring the superhero movie into the 21st century. Raimi showed that superhero movies can be more than just dumb action flicks with one-liners and mountains of disposable henchmen, but they can be real character stories that show what it would really be like if a guy gained a great power and the responsibility that comes with it. This guy, Flash Thompson, he probably deserved what happened. But just because you can beat him up doesn't give you the right to. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. Hey guys, thanks a lot for listening to my podcast, Things You Should Care About. This is uh, the last episode I'm going to release for a while because uh, I'm about to graduate next week, uh, which is really exciting. Um, and I'm going to be going on vacation. I'm going on a, a houseboat trip with like 18 friends, which should be awesome. And I'm moving into a new place here in Columbus and, uh, and I'm starting a new job and stuff, you know, like I'm doing real life stuff. Um, so I'm going to stop making episodes probably for about a month and hopefully I'll have more content out. So thank you for listening. I hope you really enjoyed these episodes. Um, yeah, I will have more stuff out soon. Thanks for listening.